It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What, Tottenham? Tottenham, don't be a Clottenham. You want goals? Tottenham's got the... Tottenham, 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 Tottenham. I'm saying Tottenham very, very often. Hot shot, give them all you got. Let me make it plain. Tottenham are the kings. The kings of White Hart Lane. Hello, welcome to another episode of Top 10 Tottenham. Delighted uh, today to be joined by my fellow Spurs show presenter, also presenter of his very own Life Goals podcast, which if you haven't bothered to listen to that yet, you're an idiot. So go and (laughs) listen to that because it is absolutely brilliant. Also, his Johnny Friendly Radio show, also creative director, commercial director, a man with many strings to his bow. Theo Delaney is here. How are you, Theo? I'm great. I'm very good, Mike. I love that introduction. I'm going to bottle that and keep that. You can have that. Exactly. Now, you have uh, your list is really, really interesting because, like a few, you've got some greatest hits, but you've got a few in here that no one could possibly have. That, that's the beauty. It's not like, oh, I picked that one as well. There's moments here that are so personal to you, mainly yeah. kind of through your professional life, that no one can say they've done them. So I think all of you at home, listening around the world, you're going to enjoy this next hour. Um, and the first one, I'm delighted to say, I found. I found the oh, goals. Fine enough, I've seen this goals before because the goal we're going to play is by the great Martin Chivers, who me and Theo have... Thank so blessed to have him on the show many, many times and done many wonderful things with him. So your first top 10 Tottenham moment is September the 1st, 1971. Crystal Palace at home. It finished Tottenham 3. Palace nil. Chivers, Mallory, Peters. Let's listen to Chiv's goal and then you'll tell us why on earth that is in one of your top 10 moments. Let's listen to Chiv's goal now. McCormick to Birchinall. Nicely inside for McCormick. Perriman to cut it out. Coates. Oh! And Blythe and uh, McCormick knocking each other's out. And Chivers to tuck it away for the second one. 
Well, that really was a chapter of excellence in that Crystal Palace defence, with Blythe and McCormick knocking each other out, and the ball running loose for Martin Chivers. So why is that one in Theo? Well, very simply, because it was the first time I ever went to White Hart Lane. It's, oh, I lovely. think it was the first time I ever went to a proper football match, actually. Nice. And I was five years of age. And I was, and what I realised when I was putting together this list, which was very enjoyable and nostalgic and at times emotional process, is that a lot of people say to me on Life Goals that football, their memories and what football's all, all about is about relationships with people and you associate it you know, with people and going with people and watching with people and stuff like that. And and that, I'm certainly no different. So they, this game in, in 1971, my uncle, Paul, took me. And he's the second oldest of eight children. My dad is the oldest, Barry. And he's the second oldest, Paul. The youngest is, a, is another uncle of mine called Simon, who will... Who You've got will a massive family, haven't you? It, it, really is, it really is a dynasty, this family. Yeah, it's, it's a huge family. About. <laughs> They all work in the media, most of them in advertising as well. So they're quite well known in that in that sort of sector. Mm. And Paul Delaney, he was a uh, he he was a brilliant fun an- uncle, and he and I I'd been a Tottenham fan since the cradle because my uh, because of my uncles as part, mostly Simon and Greg and Tim they were all p- real Tottenham fans and I thought. Paul was also a big Tottenham fan as well. He certainly went to Tottenham a lot, although later on uh, he claimed he was a lifelong Liverpool fan. <laughs> but he's now, he's now known as Uncle Bonkers, and that's just one example of his slightly, slightly bonkers ways. But in those days, it was before he was called Uncle Bonkers. And he said to me, I, I mean, I can, I'm one of those people who've got quite detailed memories going back a very long way. And I remember mm. uh, bits of this. So I remember him saying, do you want to go to see Tottenham actually go and see them play and I I didn't hesitate I said yes I remember going there I remember this you know all those smells you got in those days the frying onions the horse shit <laughs> you know the sweat the normally beer. for the same van yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 the beer, you know, the beer sort of swilling around yeah. in the gangways. And everyone drank. But one of the, another thing I remember is that they always used to go, they'd get, go out, they'd take it in turns to go out and buy the beers and they'd sit watching the football with pints of beer. It'd be like, came, it'd be like it was, Worthington E. It'd be, it'd be pints yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And um, I remember all of that. I also remember he bought me a massive rosette with, with all wow. white, you know, the white mm. frills with a black and white picture of Martin Chivers in the middle of it. He brought, bought me a second one to, for, that I could give to my brother, which had uh, Martin Peters in it. I remember all those details, Amazing. and I remember that we won 3-0. Because the incredible thing that people don't know, you mentioned your uncles, you've got a quite a few brothers, and you all support different teams. How, yeah. how did that happen? What, it, it's quite bizarre. I think, yeah, in, my, in that generation above me, they were, they were mostly Tottenham. But uh, almost, in, in fact, they were entirely Tottenham at the time. But as I say, Paul defected and became, via QPR, he ended up at Liverpool and then said he'd always been a Liverpool fan all his life. I'm not going to dispute that with him. He's bonkers. Don't upset him. Um, Tim Delaney, who's, a, who's quite a well-known, very well-known creative director in the advertising industry, he was Tottenham all night, but he ended up being Fulham because he ended up on the board of Fulham because oh, he was wow. doing Harrods advertising. And Mohamed Al-Fayed said, look, I've bought Fulham Football Club. I don't know anything about football, but you're into it, aren't you? Wow. Don't you do, Adid- don't you do, do Adidas advertising? Can you get on the board and sort it out? So he was on the board at Fulham for ages and became a Fulham fan. But there were, but other than that, it was a Tottenham family. So I was the oldest of me and my brother's. Uh, and sisters and I 
so I got I got it by default. I got the Tottenham team, but then we're all growing up, and I think my brothers Dominic and Casper are only one year and one, and then two and a half years younger than me, and I think they just wanted their own identity. They didn't want to just be the same as their big brother. So Dominic's a bit of a working class hero, so he went for West Ham. Mm-hmm. And by the time Casper was of an age to choose a team, we moved around a lot when we were kids. But we ended up in uh, where we ended up. Our nearest club was QPR, so we ended up QPR. And then Sam, who's quite a bit younger than us, um, he ended up being West Ham because Dominic coerced him to it, uh, into it, and basically threatened him with violence if he didn't fall into the line. So he became a West Ham fan. So that's how it happened. That's how we ended up all supporting different teams. But I was Tottenham, as I say, from the cradle, never never knew any any different and had all this, you know, had a mug and a, and a plastic school bag and all that with Tottenham Hotspur on it. And Chivers was my favourite player, as most little kids who supported Tottenham at that time, Chivers, because he was the England centre for England's number nine and Tottenham's number nine. And as I've told him many times, that terrible Tell story. Tell it again. It's still a great story. Yeah. Well, I asked for a, a Tottenham shirt for my birthday when I was about six. And my dad bought the shirt. And, and in those days, you had to buy a separate number and a badge to mm. sew on. Right. And he gave them to me, mum, the night before my birthday. He said, quick, sew on, we'll give it to him in the morning. And I opened up the present and it was a Tottenham shirt with a number six on the back. Cause she sewed, <laughs> I wanted number nine for the chivers. She, she did, she'd sewn it on upside down. And I uh, ended Phil up Beale. being a big Phil Beal fan yeah, as a result. That's he brilliant. Was a really nice he was a good player, let's be fair. But yeah. Chivers was my actual actual hero. So that was my first time at Tottenham, so I couldn't not choose that. And someone recently sent me the link to it, yeah, mm. and I saw it. And I didn't even know it existed until I know. recently. It's amazing, isn't it? And I, it was amazing. And as I said to the guy, he sent it to me on Twitter, I said, you know, I remember every moment of that, and that's bollocks. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of the actual football at all. But it was amazing to see. Yeah. It really was. I mean, and I for... recently bought the program as well on eBay. Oh, I got nice! The, the program, so I now possess the actual program, which I would have had that. Oh, day, that's yeah. nice. Well, I mean, for finding it, your your second choice, I couldn't find, and I kind of half me didn't want to find it because it was actually a defeat against your brother's team, West Ham, uh, in nine, December the twenty seventh, nineteen seventy two. So this would be the same season, um, pretty much. No. Oh, no, the following no, season. Was, well, following, following season. season. And it's not right. a defeat. We, we won. Oh, we won 1-0. Won one I beg your pardon. We won 1-0. Oh, yeah. maybe that's why I couldn't find it. I was putting the wrong score in. <laughs> yeah. So the reason I chose this one is, well, I've actually written about this one in a book called For the Love of London, which had lots of Londoners talking about what they loved about London. And when I, when I was asked to do it, I thought, well, what do I love about... Obviously, I love a million things about London. I'm a massive lover of London and a lifelong Londoner. But I, it occurred to me that London is actually the best football city in the world because it's got 11 or 12 proper professional, you know, football teams in it. I don't think Absolutely. there's another city like that in the world. Mm. Uh, and in fact, I grew up all... I mean, as I say, we moved around a lot, but between the age of um, 8 and 14, I lived on a council estate in Brentford and went to Brentford quite a lot and which is why recently I was very pleased to see Brentford go out. anyway I chose this game because in 1972 I really I mean once I'd been once to Tottenham I wanted to I was desperate to go again and you in those days as you know you didn't get to see them much on the telly you prayed every weekend that they were going to be on the big match too young you to kind of wouldn't know until you turned it on after know, university exactly. challenge absolutely yeah. and and you know you're invariably disappointed there's always Arsenal or Chelsea or whatever but occasionally you'd get to see him. So you're desperate. I was desperate to go back. And me and my brothers used to, but we're basically at this point living in a rented flat in Chiswick, 
on the fourth floor is this place called Chiswick Village, which were these sort of 1930s purpose-built blocks around the green. My dad, my mum and dad were out-and-out hippies. And so we had lots of different hippies staying with us, strewn across sofas and the floor all the time. It was only a small three-bedroom flat. And uh, it was the strong smell of herbal cigarettes was around, Joss Sticks. Um, and my dad had very long hair. He was a revolutionary communist at the time as well. Right. And he used to buy, we, we were absolutely skint. He was a film extra. He used to do a bit of work as a film extra. And my mum used to do a bit of what she used to call temping, which was sort of temporary secretarial work. And they just used to basically scrape together enough money. And he, when he had cars, he'd buy them for like literally five or ten pound and they would last maybe between one and three months. And then when they packed up, he just walked away from left and wherever, wherever they packed up and then hoped to scrape enough money to buy another one. And I'm pretty sure on this occasion, at that, this point, we had a minivan. So it wasn't even a car. So the kid, us kids would just get dumped in the back of this minivan. Didn't even have windows in the back or seats or anything. Yeah, or seat belts. And we'd drive. Yeah. Huh? Or, or seat belts. Just be thrown oh, in the no back. No way. No, no way. No seat <laughs> belts. Absolutely not. Anyway, this particular day, we'd been saying to my dad for ages, well, you know, you keep saying you're going to take us to see a football match in Tottenham, but, but when are we going to go? When are we going to go? And it got to a Saturday and he's... His brother, who at the time would have been about 11, Simon, who's probably the biggest influence on me in my life, actually. Simon's kind of model. your age, but slightly older, but your uncle. He's five years older than me, but right. we're, we're like brothers. He's my uncle, but we're more <laughs> like brothers. He's like the big brother I didn't have. Yeah. And he's influenced everything. Like, for instance, the job that I ended up doing, I was a commercial director. He was a commercial director mm. first. So I just thought, I'll, I'll be a commercial director. <laughs> it was ridiculous. He was a Tottenham fan, so I was a Tottenham fan, etc. He was like, right. I just looked up to him so much. So there we were. He was staying with us for some reason, and we're in this flat one morning in the in, the, in this kind of, foggy atmosphere and we said dad dad you always said you were going to take us to a game we're tiny kids really and he said oh okay let's just go to he looked in the paper and said let's have a look oh yeah Tottenham are at home today let's just go because Simon was there as well I think he just thought it'd be a nice thing to do so he drove us across London and we've arrived with very little time to go before kickoff at Tottenham West Ham in 1972 in White Lane. now Christmas game can you imagine can you imagine the atmosphere it was absolutely I mean, it was like, it, it was hateful, full of absolute hate. All these dockers had turned up from East London, intent on violence. And, of course, all the Tottenham firm are thinking, great, this is one of our big, big days when the old West Ham is going to be one hell of a punch-up. And when we got there, I mean, it's funny, you just in those days, you just drive, park, get out, park as best you can, get out, and then just expect to go in. But it was a sellout because, obviously... It's a huge, it was a big London derby. I mean, West Ham still had people like Bobby Moore and Clyde Best and people like that playing for him. I think, yeah, Bobby Moore would have still been playing for him, yeah. Jeff Hurst, probably. And um, So this was, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the beginning. This, is this the 72, 72. 73 season? I don't know what season it was. I'm, ah. it, was it was 72 and we won 1-0. Okay, so I, I got it wrong before. I had us down as the Christmas game of season before, which we did lose 1-0. This was at home on yeah. September the 23rd. Yeah, 1972. We won one nil, and it was a Lampard own goal. Own goal, own goal exactly. And, and that's the, fifty-one thousand fans there. Right. So it's to fifty-one thousand. Yeah. So we get there. It's five minutes to go to kick off, and we realise quickly that there's we can't get in. It's completely packed. It's sold out. Apart from for some reason the away end, there's a few, few. Right, bases left. Mm. So he, my dad's going. Oh, I'm not sure about this. We're going. Come on, Dad. You said we'd come in. So he said, "All right." So we get in. And it's are you wearing your? Packed. Are you wearing your Phil Bill top? 
No, no, oh, okay. no. Just double check. I don't think I don't think we're wearing colours. Right. Okay. My, you know, <laughs> my dad looks like a kind of less malevolent version of Charles Manson, and the rest, <laughs> um, but we also we also look like we look like hippie kids. We've got really right. long hair and j- flared jeans and denim Afghan jackets coats, and stuff like that. That type yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So we go in and we can't really see much, obviously, because it's like right. all these adults, nasty mm. adults in the West End bit. And the game kits up is a shit game. It's all, as I mean, as far as I remember, it's an attritional derby. Yeah, it you know, sounds it by the result and the scorer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But everything's fine. There's a lot of singing and all. And I'm, abs- I'm, I'm, I'm quite fascinated by the whole thing. I remember that. But then late on, Spurs score with an own goal. I think it was in front. I think we were behind the goal. And it, I think it might have been in, in the goal right there. And then suddenly, it, uh, whereas everyone's more or less falling asleep up to that point, just it's suddenly everything changes, like, you know, as it does. And it, everything goes mental. Turns out, not surprisingly, because we got in, there's a load of Tottenham in the West Ham end who've been keeping a low profile. They start celebrating, and, and a massive fight starts taking place. One of those old-fashioned ones you used to see on the telly where the whole terrace is going fucking mental. And there's one railing separating the West Ham from the Tottenham, and the Tottenham are trying to get in, and West Ham are trying to get over there. There are Tottenham in the West Ham end, all fighting and getting beaten up. And we're in the middle of it. We are tiny children in the middle of this. And someone's, someone shouted at my dad, pass them over into the Tottenham bit. Pass them over there and we'll pass them away because it's not safe. And he's going, yeah, so, yeah, you're right, man. Let's get them out of here. So he's, I remember being bodily passed over the railing, me and Dominic, my brother. Wow. Into, does, he and remember, Simon. Does, does he still remember this or not? He doesn't, I don't think. I spoke it. to him about it recently. I don't think, he, but he was younger even than me. Right, I see. I mean, he was just just five. You know, I mean, it's incredible. So we got we got passed over. We didn't get so unfortunately. We, and then eventually, my dad manages to climb over towards us because we basically strangers helped us to get out, get away from this sickening violence. You know, it really was bad. And uh, and what I is the funny thing is my memory of it isn't one of fear. I, w- I don't remember being frightened. I don't remember being upset. I just remember being absolutely captivated. And that's why and you excited. became one of the most notorious Tottenham <laughs> boot boys of the 1980s. <laughs> I realised I had ice running through my veins. I feared no one, not even the West Ham You were firm, part of the firm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was an extraordinary experience. And I rem- again, I remember it. I do remember it. And uh, it was... A, a remarkable thing. In fact, I because I did it in the book, and they made, they they filmed an interview with me to promote right. the book as yeah. well. And I think my dad must have seen it because my dad said completely out of the blue, no context. About a year ago, he suddenly said to me when I had to see him, "I feel very guilty about that time I took you boys to West Ham." I said, "What? This is like literally fifty plus years later." <laughs> now you mention it. Yeah. I said, what? what are you talking about? He said, it was very irresponsible of me. I don't know how I could have done such a thing. Man, <laughs> like, it's fine. It's no problem. I, I remember it well. I, I actually enjoyed it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. <laughs> I did love it. It's funny that he, he suddenly brought it up, you know. Wow. My dad looms large, as you know, and my uncle and others. As I said at the beginning, it, it, these lists turn out to be about the people around you as much as about the football, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, your next one we do have, and this is not quite a few lists because I think people of our age, although we're about the same age, and I don't remember this as a kid. I started going in the same... I started going in 73, but, okay, you were seven, I was, I was five. There we are. I don't remember this, but you do. It's the League Cup final against Norwich. Let's remind ourselves of the winner from Ralphie Coates. 
Beal. Bills in to Perryman. That might uh, give Spurs a bit of encouragement now. Forbes under a lot of pressure now from Chivers, but he's again sticking to it well and saves the corner. Tottenham's throw, though, and I think it'd probably be a long one by Chivers. He was already there on the spot. And again, Mike England's going forward. Again, a lower one. Chivers with the back heel. Now Mike England hoping to get in. Coates hoping to blast it in. And Coates has done it. Why did that one go in? Did you, presumably you weren't at the game and at that age no. or no? No, I wasn't at the game. And that's why I've chosen it because it was a very, it's a memory that's very specific to the time. So if you remember the League Cup final, it's funny you say you don't remember it. I don't remember us winning the League Cup in 71, even though I went to my first game in 71. But the League Cup was quite relatively low profile in those cases. It had only been, been played at Wembley for about four or five years. That's at that right. Point. Yes, you're right. And, yeah. and it certainly was never live on the telly. And in fact, in 73, I was massively excited because I, I, I remember being, I was aware of us winning the UEFA Cup in 72. I wouldn't have watched that live because it would have been past my bedtime because it was midweek evening game, <laughs> you know. And in 73, we get to the League Cup final. And for the first time, I'm massively, I've got cup fever and I'm massively excited because I'm very aware of it. But it's not live on the telly. The League Cup final never was. Wow. It wasn't even into the 80s. It wasn't in, live on the telly. Wow, I didn't realise that. Yeah. Because um, you look back at the footage, you just assume it was. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. Why would yeah, it be? And it, yeah. And it was It was on the big... But what, I, what was extraordinary about it from my point of view at that time was that my dad had said we were due to go the next day to visit my grandparents who lived in a bungalow in Chorley Wood. Uh, and Simon, my uncle, still lived with them because he was still a kid himself. So he, they were his parents, obviously. And that was my happiest place that I used to visit because I loved my grandparents so much, Nonna and Bibar. They had these eight kids. They had this bungalow. My grandfather, they'd also grown up on a council estate, but he'd done quite well. He was a chemist at Kodak in the okay. laboratories there right, developing yeah, yeah. film stocks and stuff so he'd done all right and he bought this bungalow with a lovely big garden in the back and I, whenever I visited them and I went there a lot and I stayed with them a lot when I was a kid I was always so happy and we always went there for the FA Cup final as well that was part of the ritual of our but on this occasion it's the League Cup final my dad said look we're due to go to um Chorleywood tomorrow so why don't you don't I won't tell you the score. Don't find out the score and we'll watch wow. it because it will be on the big match. Wow. So, so this, I said, is like, okay, this is the true life likely lads episode. It's the likely lads scenario. But I, I, I do remember thinking, but I really want to know if we won or not. And he said, no, no, yeah, I know, but it'll be so much better if you watch it and you don't know the score. Simon, as it happened, went to the game. He would have been as probably about 12. I don't know who he went with or how he got to go, but he went to the game. But when I got there to Chorley with the next day, he didn't tell me. He knew he was in wow. And they managed to prevent Must me knowing the score. Must have been a right smile on his face, surely, when you came yeah, in. Yeah, but, but I was none the wiser. Didn't give anything away to me at seven. Mm, I wasn't was possess those subtle powers. <laughs> I don't really remember that particularly. I do remember that Ralph Coates was one of those players that the fans, he was sort of lovable, but never quite as good as he should have been, given mm. what we paid for him when he came from Burnley. Yeah, he was a big signing from Burnley, case. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, he was supposed to be a bit better than he intended out. Mm. But, of course, this was his big defining moment. Yes. And I was, abso- needless to say, I was absolutely cock-a-hoot. We'd won a cup. And to me, that was the first time that I'd actually watched us win a cup. 
And yes. it felt like to me that I'd waited ages for it to happen. In fact, they'd won a cut the year before and the year before yeah, that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, I just think for that, that's another memory about my dad and my uncle Simon, who are these two sort of big figures in my life and in all, uh, including my football life, you know. Mm, very nice. Now, the next one is is the one pretty much the same as you, but I don't remember the 73. This was the one. This was the build-up. Hadn't won it in 14 years. The FA Cup 1981. And uh, for, for long-term listeners of Top 10 Tottenham, you're thinking, oh, we're going to get Brian, we're going to get John Motson again. no. No, I found the lesser-known ITV commentary with the late, great, still probably, if I had to pick my favourite football commentator of all time, I'd probably go Brian Moore. Uh, and here's... Admittedly, it's not as good as the Motson commentary for the goal, I don't think. But anyway, here's Brian Moore describing that goal from Ricky Villa. Long ball forward. Dave Bennett trying to get on the end of it. Steve McKenzie's going to get there. Stopped, though, by Graham Roberts. And now Tony Galvin. Crooks is up ahead, but he might be offside. And that maybe was why Galvin was reluctant to release it. Now he can find Villa. And he can really stab them. It's going all the way. And Villa! 3-2 to Tottenham. Two goals in the game for Villa. And Spurs are back in the lead. It was an amazing run, and there was no tackle coming in there. Good skill, getting past Peyton. Getting past them again, turning them the wrong way. Thought he'd lost it there, and finds the back of the city net to put Spurs 3-2 into the lead. This is a tremendous run. He's done all the right things. He's worked against people's angles, and Joe, it went in off his arm, unfortunately, for City. Well, the man who trudged off after he'd been substituted and went to the dressing room on Saturday, and he looked a real lost soul then, has become a gold-plated hero here for Tottenham tonight. Ricky Villa. So, what's your memory of this? You must be, what, 16 now, around that 15. age? Um, I was 15. 15. 15. Now, at this stage, like I said before, it seemed like it'd been a long time since we won a cup. At this stage, to me, it seemed like an absolute age since yeah. Tottenham had done anything. We'd oh. been in the total doldrums, of course. Yeah. After 73, it all I went mean, turned to shit, didn't it, We really? were crap, even yeah. to the extent where we went down. Uh, then, of course, the Argentinians turned up and it felt like just like something like weird dream when they turned up. And we still managed to lose 7-0 to Liverpool within weeks of their arrival. So um, it was tough times to grow up as a Tottenham fan, especially in West London, where there were very few others. Um, by 15, we'd, we'd moved off the council estate and moved to a relatively salubrious council house in Chiswick on the border with Hammersmith. My parents had split up at this point. Okay. So... We'd been living, me and my brothers, in this kind of Ken Loach movie of an existence on the council, involving solvent abuse, mm. persistent truancy, social workers, that sort that's of thing. That's just you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is just me, but them as well. <laughs> I mean, it was just, like, ridiculous. And we got to, so at 15, we've got to the cup final, and it's such a brilliant team. What a team. Mm. I, I totally worshipped Glenn Hoddle. Yeah. You know, yeah. he was, like, to me, he was God. That's why I used to write on my exercise books, Glenn Hoddle is God. Mm. And 
but of course, I, I was totally besotted with Ardiles and Ricky Villa and the whole team, you know, Perriman, Galvin, Crooks and Archibald being the first. I mean, I'd started to go more. I didn't go much in the 70s at all. I was a kid and I just had to rely on very occasional visits when adults took me. But by 81, I was 15. So I was able to go even across from West London. I was able to go. Fucking long journey, that's for sure. But I used Would to you go. get by yourself? Were you allowed at this age? No, I had a couple of mates at school that right. were, were Tottenham fans as well. So they would go with me one or other of them and again for, 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 for younger listeners this against this was still the era when you just show up just turn up yeah. show up about two o'clock an hour yeah. before to, if you want to have a specific place you wanted to go yeah the shelf and queue up and pay a couple of quid on the door not well, even less. that i mean i think it was like 90 p or something yeah it was like one pound Road, yeah 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 yeah. Like yeah yeah anyway um so i used to I, I mean i remember you know watching them from behind the girl that team and just I didn't go every week by any means, but I used to go and I just was in, I just thought they were just, and they are. I mean, I was in love with them anyway. I'm a Tottenham fan and these are great players, but you look back, you, that was a top, top, mm. top team. It, it really, really was. Yeah. And, um, and we met them all, of course, but we'll come well, on to that. Been so lucky. But, um, yeah. Yeah. We were so lucky. But, but um, yeah, so the, what I remember about it, so we're in this, we're in my mum's, you know, this council house and, and I'm absolutely a nervous wreck for the first game. Absolute nervous wreck. I haven't got a ticket watching it on the telly with a surrounded by a, a load of mates. And I remember I was, a, I was a heavy smoker at this time. I was 15 okay. years of age. <laughs> and I remember I was at the time of smoking roll-ups because they were cheaper. And I remember pre-rolling about 10 roll-ups. So I had them on the arm of the sofa beside me because I was, I knew it was going to be such a nerve wracking. And sure enough, the first game was a terrible ordeal. Yeah. And I you smoked did them all by half time. Probably. I chain smoked. I just chain smoked throughout the game. 15. <laughs> Then, of course, as we all know, there were it goes to a replay and tickets are made available. And my uncle Greg, also a lifelong Tottenham fan, he uh, he 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 basically makes his younger brother Simon and my younger brother Casper, who's not even a Tottenham fan, a QPR fan. He says, "Go to Wembley." I think it was Wembley, wasn't it? You queue up at Wembley, or was it? I, I queued up. I queued up at White Hart Lane. Okay, it might have been. I, a, I mean, maybe, but I remember queuing up at White Hart Lane really early on a. All I remember was that those two was. went and they queued for like the next six day, hours though. or something. Right, yeah. They went and they got four tickets, and it was me, Greg, Simon, and Casper were wow. to go, and I couldn't oh. believe I was going to it. Amazing. I mean, I couldn't believe was I was it, going to see Tottenham in the FA Cup. Had one. you been to Wembley before? I don't think I had. No, right. I'm pretty certain I had not. In fact, no, I hadn't been. I definitely hadn't been to Wembley before. So this for me was like beyond my wildest dreams and so off we went on the tube went to the game I mean there's no point in me describing the game because but suffice to say when Ricky Villa was was you know weaving his way around the Man City defence I remember talking to Norman Jay about this when he came on live goals and he's he said exactly the same as me all all he was screaming was saying fucking pass it (laughs) fucking pass the fucking what are you doing pass the fucking ball but when it goes in and when the oh. whistle goes and when the cup is lifted, you know, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And as I say, my dad had left us by this point. And the next day, I remember he came round for some reason or other, perhaps to drop off some alimony, I don't know. And I said to him, he said, so is that right? You went to the game at last? And I said, yeah. He said, did you, was it good? I said, it was the best light of my life. And he said, he looked at me and just went, oh dear. Oh, really? I really mean, thought, what a funny thing to wow. say. 
You <laughs> what wow. funny thing to say? He did. I mean, that's what a you classic. Expect? But that's what he was like. Yeah. It was yeah. like classic of him to take some sort of philosophical take yeah. on that yeah. and say, "Well, that is a tragedy if that indeed was the best." It felt like the best night of my life. Forty years on, I think it still was the best night. It probably of my life. still is. Certainly up there. <laughs> It exactly. probably still is. You couldn't believe what you were seeing when that goal went in, when you saw oh. Steve Perriman lift the cut after we'd been so shit for basically the entirety of my life. You know, I mean, the last time we'd won anything was literally more than half a lifetime ago for me. Yes, that's and I've grown up right. through all absolutely. of that turgid yeah. bollock, that terrible yeah. shit. All that late seventies of getting nowhere near anything, you know, and exactly sort of, not yeah. even in the running, not even in the running. Yeah. And so to to do that, it was just. I was elated beyond belief. I do remember on the way out, some Man City fan ripping my scarf from around my neck, nearly strangling me in the process. And I've always, always slightly resented the City fans because of that. But it's a small detail. They were rightly, you know, disgruntled. It was a hell of a game, wasn't it? It, was right. it, it, it was probably the greatest cup final ever. I think you're right. But I mean, and then fair enough, then your fifth moment of top 10 moments is 10 years later. The year ends in one. You're now... 25 and again those you're thinking oh you know we're going to get uh i've i've found the radio 2 commentary of the winning goal the well the, the, the winning own goal des walker 1991 let's remind ourselves of the winning goal now he's a tenacious little player is paul walsh he really is and I know he feels such frustration being a regular substitute for Tottenham. When he does make an entry into the game, why, he usually has an effect on it. Crossy's okay, the corner's taken, and Walsh almost put it into the net! It's into the net, and it's Gary Mavitt, is it? Gary Mavitt, the captain, whose own goal four years ago cost the cup final for Tottenham against Coventry City. Is it Mavitt who's got the goal that's won it for them in 1991? Indeed, it was Walker. Walker went with Mavitt to meet the header, and it's glanced off the England international. Mavitt won't mind if another own goal settles a final, this time in Spurs' favour. Well, it was Stuart that got the initial flick on from the corner, whether Crossley was stunned or not. It was a fight for the ball at the back post. And if Walker did knock the ball into the net, it was certainly Mabbott that forced the error. And who can say that it's not a great reward for him after all the problems he's had to encounter with his diabetes. He's a terrific lad, a wonderful captain, a leader. And he was so sad to score the own goal in the 87 Cup final. Five minutes gone, an extra time. Spurs, who were one goal down, are 2-1 in front. So where were you now? What were you doing? You're 25. You're now working in, presumably you're working now in commercials industry and so, so directing. So now I'm, I am, lead, uh, but basically I'm leaving, leading a dissolute lifestyle. I'm a total fuckhead. I am a, a pisshead, a cokehead, a horrible bastard. Uh, you know, I've, I've, had, I've lurched from one unsuitable relationship to another and then a couple of longer term relationships where I've, my behaviour was terrible. I'm in a terrible state. But my career, but bizarrely, is starting to happen. I'd had a period as a journalist, and I'd got um, and I joined a, a production company called Tony K Films. Anyone who oh, works in my business oh. will know Tony yes. K. Yeah, yeah. Tony the K great, is a he directed a the wonderful American History X. 
That's right. That his? Absolute yeah. legend and yeah. a completely eccentric man. And when yeah. I worked with him, the extraordinary character, when I worked with him, I didn't get paid very often, but I had one amazing, <laughs> amazing perk, which was he gave me, for my own personal use, his Tottenham season ticket. He'd upgraded. He'd become very rich and successful all of a I sudden. I didn't know he was a Spurs fan. He's a massive Spurs fan since youth. And he'd got himself, he bought himself two tickets in the Centenary Club, but he retained his one seat on the halfway line in the West Upper, right near the director's box, which was a prime season ticket. And he gave it to me for my personal use. That's so that's beautiful. when I first had a season now, ticket. What a beautiful when story was, alone that is. Yeah. Wow. 88 to 89 is when I got it. And <laughs> right. I'd never been able arrived. to afford. I'd yeah. never been able to afford a season ticket before that. So I, yeah. and it wasn't my season ticket, but I effectively had a season ticket. And I was going every single home game. It's when Gazza arrived. I saw as you did, Gaza in his absolute prime, which there are, there are few more incredible footballers to see in their prime than him, if any. Correct. So, Absolutely. yeah, so, so I guess tonight, but 91 Cup Final comes along and he and, and me and Tony Kay are coming to the end of our rather strange relationship. He didn't have any relationships with anyone that weren't strange. And uh, he, that my, my relationship with him was no... I mean, I, I absolutely loved him and worshipped him, but he was a, a very strange man to do any kind of business with. And we sort of fell out. And I remember for the semi-final, because, you know, you, with your season ticket, you got a ticket for the big games at Wembley. Yeah, you guaranteed. But for the semi-final, he said to me, yeah, I've decided you can't have the ticket for Tottenham Arsenal at Wembley that would go with that season ticket. I'm going to give it to my uncle instead. Oh, can you imagine? I'm devastated. But I managed to get one anyway. I managed to buy, buy one for 50 quid, which seemed like a fucking fortune. But I got one. Thank God I did. But for the final... I think we'd find, uh, I think he, for some reason he changed his mind again and said, you can have the ticket for the final. So I had a ticket for the final. It was quite up in the gods. I could have chosen anything from 91, obviously. I could have chosen, and I, I really, I really um, struggled with it because I, I could have chosen Gaza's free kick. I could have chosen Lineker's winner because I remember that making me hyperventilate. I almost said, I asked yes. that because that's yeah. the moment when you knew you were going to win. Correct. Before that, you didn't think you were going to win that game. Uh, they hit the post. I, they were there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we were in trouble. But then, and then I also. I could have chosen walk. I remember walking out of Wembley in a sea of Tottenham fans and just to the great chorus, beautifully rendered chorus of you've lost that double feeling. Oh, and I remember looking across and seeing the famous film producer, Stephen Woolley <laughs> singing it. <laughs> just remember seeing him really in Congress, like a weird dream and him with a massive grin on his face, joining in, you know, he's another, one I, I he's another one I didn't realize was uh, yeah, uh, a big, big, cause he big used to run, movie. he used to run the cinema in Islington. He was, uh, put the sex pistols on the first gig at the screen on the, uh, oh, right. screen on the that. green. I think he has something to do with it in all those yeah. early, early days. Interesting. Yeah. Well, he, we he's a big Tottenham fan. Uh, but then I thought, but really the final for me was even in a very different way, more emotional. Cause as I, as I've, you know, people forget that the club was basically going out of business and in the run up to the final, it was really on the brink of going out of business. Scholar had fucked everything up and there was talk of Alan Sugar coming in and doing a deal with Venables involved to, to rescue the club. There was, there was, talk, the of Robert, there was talk of Robert Maxwell. Robert Maxwell nearly, he was nearly the one oh, who, who did it. Yeah. yeah. That, that was a narrow escape. Although yeah. some people, some people have a view of sugar that says it wasn't a merit mar- escape, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. But sugar, but, the, but then it, the perception was that if we won the cup, it would get us into Europe, which would generate sufficient revenue for it to make it a realistic, viable investment for someone like sugar, who obviously wasn't going to do it out of any sort of, you know, sentimentality. So it was essential that we won the cup because of that, not just because we wanted to win the cup. So, 
It's the, I mean, I never cry. Lots of people cry at football. I've never cried at football. But when we won the cup in '91, I welled up. I welled up when they put the when they brought the cup round on the on the lap of honour afterwards because I felt like the club had been saved. I felt Tottenham Hotspur's whole existence had been preserved by winning the cup in that really dramatic way. I'm also retrospectively, I now even more. I find that '91 thing even more poignant because. Paul Stewart's story in that cup final is an incredible story now that we know about Paul Stewart. I've read his book. I interviewed him once at the at the Mayor of Tottenham's annual gala dinner. I interviewed him on stage. Pete Hayne got me to do it. And I met Paul Stewart. And, he is a, and I think back to when he arrived at the club and all the stick he got from the fans, including me. And then I think of that day when <laughs> Pat Vandenau got himself sent off we went down to nine men. Naeem got sent off as well. We went down to nine men against Luton. And Paul Stewart had to go in midfield just simply because that was the only thing that we could do. And he was bloody brilliant and never never left midfield after that. And I remember the moment when he got that chance at Wembley. We were 1-0 down in the cup final to Nottingham Forest. And the chance falls to him. And I didn't tell him this when I met him. But I remember thinking, oh, no, if only it was Lineker. And he fucking buried well, it's it. A really, you know, buried it's, a, it. it's a very little talked about goal because we all go, Gaza's free kick. Oh, the own goal, Walker. It was a really, really good finish. A ball in from Naeem from memory. Or Alan and Naeem combined. And it was a, it was a, I think it was a difficult chance right in the corner of the net. Yeah. Brilliant finish from a man. Suddenly you think, yeah, he's he's now the midfield powerhouse. But there was a man who scored a lot of goals as a as a striker because that was a fantastic finish. And what we know now is that Paul Stewart was live was have it was in a living hell from what had happened to him when he'd been abused as a young footballer and all the stick that he was getting and stuff that the hell he was going through and the struggles he had with with uh, you know prescription drugs and alcohol and he buried that and he basically that was the pivotal moment in that game no question about it we were the better team before that and then we believed after that and of course we ended up winning with a but the thing uh, I'm going on and on and on you're gonna have to tell me every now and then because sometimes <laughs> I get so I get so lost in the memories but the thing that I remember it. the thing I've actually chosen yeah and the reason why I've chosen it is because it is different is that basically I went with my great friend Andy Walker and his brother Veer who He's the one who, who made us go with a firm to the semi-final right. and we stormed the Arsenal coach as it stormed. I say stormed, we threw a couple of bricks. I didn't throw anything just for just for clarity. Some of these nutters threw bricks at the Arsenal coach on the way. Anyway, yeah. me and Andy Walker and Via, we we come outside. We weren't sitting together because I had a, a single ticket. We came outside, met up, and we were in all, all kinds of euphoria. And we hadn't planned anything beforehand, but we decided to get in Veer's van. That's how we'd arrived. And just go to White Hart Lane. We just right. decided we just got to go to White Hart Lane. I don't know why. We just got to. It's like a call to Mecca, isn't it? Yeah. And it turns out hundreds and hundreds yeah. of other fans had had exactly the same thing. And I remember driving around the North Circular Road from Wembley and there were people out in their gardens and hanging out our windows of blocks of flats, waving Tottenham flags and stuff. That was wonderful. Then we get to our lane, somehow part of the car, and suddenly there's a massive crowd forms. And essentially what happens is a huge, probably the best party I've ever been to in my life. I mean, my, uh, if my wife asks, it's my wedding, but... <laughs> That is the best party I've ever been to in my life because it's entirely spontaneous. It went yeah. on till the early hours in the streets. All the pubs were open, you know, the bricklayers and the corner pin and all that. Packed. So the beer was flowing, the singing. And then when it got to match of the daytime, 10, 10.30, everyone's mm. absolutely yeah. crammed into the pubs. And we all watched the whole thing again. There's people crying, 
strangers all over the place hugging each other. The police, after about half an hour of this, when it was like, you know, five, I don't know, seven o'clock or whatever, make a vain attempt to tell everyone to go home. And I remember starting up a chant of, are you Arsenal in disguise? <laughs> and then they just they just basically thought, I think we're going to have to go softly, softly here, lads. And they both sort of shrank into the background and just sort oh, of monitored God. it from afar. It's the best party I've ever been to. And That's lovely. I was hammered out of my mind obviously and uh i don't even know how i got home that's like can you imagine theo if please god please god in our lifetime we ever lift the league championship can you yeah. imagine the scenes that well, this one thing that's missing in all our hearts well if you're of a certain age can you imagine if that ever happened that that would well, be real euphoria yeah yeah, I mean, I said to my wife and kids when we when we looked a couple of times in recent years, yeah. like we might be in the running. And I said, "Listen, I'll tell you, if Spurs win the Premier League, you will see a grown man cry." And they oh. went, "What again?" <laughs> <laughs> I've always blubbered. I suddenly remembered. Yeah, okay, well, I do blub quite a lot. Sorry. Yeah. Look, let's go to a, let's go to a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to get your last five of your top ten Tottenham. And we're back from the break. Uh, wonderful first half. The second half, I think, is going to be even more moving, even more emotional, because I know what's coming. And uh, your next one, I think this would be up on many, many people's. Again, you mentioned the Argentinians and the, the kind of these two players from out of this world coming down. This next player to me was up there. We signed Jurgen Klinsmann. Many of us went up to Sheffield Wednesday in August. 1994, to watch an extraordinary game that we won 4-3. But let's remind ourselves of that bullet header from Jurgen Klinsmann. Now here's Anderton with the cross. Klinsmann's free! And he's marked his debut with a goal! Jurgen Klinsmann does it! (laughs) Well, they joke about the diving. That one is perfectly legitimate. And so too was this header. Pulled away from Walker, and it was a terrific finish. What was your memory of that day, uh, Theo? Well, for context, when Klinsman signed, I was in a car on the Bayswater Road with my then girlfriend Louise, who was a lovely, lovely girl. And we'd lived we lived together three and a half years, but I think we were coming towards the end of our relationship at that point. And when Klinsman signed, it came on the radio, and I just went absolutely mental in this car in a traffic jam on the Bayswater Road. And she just looked at me. Uh, I, I, I think she looked at me and read my mind. And my mind was saying, Klinsman is going to end this relationship. <laughs> and, it, and he did, because basically I couldn't believe it. You say, yeah, Ardiles and Vila was the, the signing that shook the world. I think that was actually a, a headline in one of the newspapers. Yes, But for was. me, Klinsman, I was, uh, uh, Klinsman, I couldn't even, when, I, I couldn't even get my head around it when, no. when Ardiles and Vila signed. I just couldn't get my head around it at all. When Klinsman signed, he was already a global superstar that I was, he'd just, you know, been in the World Cup and everything. And he'd, he'd been part of that winning team in 1990. So I was, I just couldn't believe it. It was one of those things where we have signed one of, literally one of the best players in the world. And again, Tottenham had been, you know, since that FA Cup win, we'd been seriously underwhelming as a team. So to get someone of that stature, I just loved it, and I remember going to the preseason friendly when he went to when he was when he played for the first time at Watford. I remember, and I went to the Ipswich away. I, I just became even more obsessed, and within weeks, Louise and I were a thing of the past. Sadly, but 
this Sheffield Wednesday game, I had so I, I I split up with Louise. So obviously, at the end of a, a relationship, I've got a long one like that. We'd lived together. I was I was in a, emotionally, I was in a bit of a turmoil. As it happened, my dad had just split up from his second wife, the woman he'd left right. my mother for. Oh wow! So he was also in a in a state of flux. Wow! But by this, this time, my this dad was a sitcom. Yeah, or a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, what was that sitcom with? Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, well, we weren't living together, but yeah. I remember. By this time, my dad's got my dad's become a big Tottenham fan in the seventies because I think possibly because of his rather outre political views, he refused to say he was a fan of any particular club. But by the nineties, he'd pretty much come out as a Tottenham fan, and wow. in fact, he got in the mid nineties. He had a season ticket for several years, and I can't remember if he had a season ticket at this point, but I do remember phoning him up and saying, look, let's go to Sheffield Wednesday away. It was the first game of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. First game of the season. I said, let's go. Again, in those days, it wasn't difficult. I just went, popped up to White Lane, got a couple of tickets. They just tore them off the book, gave them the cash. That was it. So he and I decided we'd go. But we turned, he's a... He's not really one for summing it, my old man, once he got off the council estate. Despite being a hippie. Yeah. yeah, he was no longer a hippie. Right. He was no longer a council estate dweller. In fact, you might say he'd become the polar opposite. <laughs> so we decided we were going to go first class. We're going to get an early train and a late train back so we didn't have to mix with the, the oi polloi. And we were going to have a nice, we, we did a bit of research, find a nice restaurant and all that. And the two of us, as I say, we've both recently become single. So we go to Hillsborough, we sit down. One of the greatest games I've ever seen. Oh, it was extraordinary. The famous five, the debut of the famous five in the Premier League. So by which I mean, of course, Anderton, Barmby, Dumitrescu, Sheringham and Klinsman. And Klinsman scoring that goal, the header, it was a brilliant Klinsman header where he rises, twists his body, mm. powers it into the net. Oh, but the when he it. does the celebration, he runs brilliant. and he's beckoning his, his teammates to all join him. And then he does the dive. You have to remember that the dive had never been done before Absolutely. ever. Nobody Absolutely. Nobody knew it was coming. And, and for, and again, for, young, and for younger listeners, he'd been accused of the World Cup and the Germans in, in thing for falling over and diving. So when we yeah. signed Klinsmann, you've signed that bloody German diver. Yeah. That was yeah. the, 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 that's the, the, the that's what the rival Franz was saying. Which made and it even sweeter. Fleet Street and everything. So he decided, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a joke out of it. I'm going to make a self-effacing joke. I'm going to do it. If I score, I'm going to do a dive. He dived. Sheringham dives. The whole team dives. And I just, I, I just, again, it's those moments that just make you, you're just so elated by not just the goal, not just the brilliance of the game, not just the brilliance of the player, but the moment is such a unique and exhilarating moment. Me and my dad laughing our heads off and cheering because uh, he loved he loves that sort of thing as well. He loves the idea, you know, of Clinton saying to all of the press and all mm. the other fans, fuck off. Exactly. Uh, it was a a, a, a a fantastic moment, a great moment for me and the old boy as well, you know, together mm. in our in our Absolutely. in our states of flux. It was yeah. great. Lovely. Uh your seventh pick uh is not actually a, a football moment, but again something very deeply personal to you um and it's 2007 and you end up and en- you up sorry you end up interviewing dave mckay in enfield david janola in saint-tropez tell the listeners how this came about so in 2006 i'm on holiday we used to go simon and i used to go on holiday with our young families take our kids usually to italy so we're on a beach in italy and he says oh by the way my mate uh knows glenn hoddle 
Oh, no, that, that, actually, that's a different one. Hold on, that comes later. Me and, we ended up working with Glenn Hoddle, me and Simon. No, he said, this is before that. Simon says, I've been into Tottenham. I've seen Paul Barber, the chief executive at the time, who's now chief executive at uh, Brighton. Uh, because I wanted to say, because Simon, like me, was he was a, a commercial director. He's making big commercials and everything. He thought he'd go in and, and offer his services. Uh, say, look, if you ever need anything doing, I'm a massive Tottenham fan and I'd, I'd love to do it. I wouldn't, you know, do it without charging you normal money or anything like that. Mm. And they phoned him back and said, can you make a, we're launching this charity called the Tottenham Foundation. Can you make a, uh, an ad for that? So he said he would. And he asked me if I'd do it with him. So I said, yeah, great. So we ended up going to having meetings there and everything, making this film for them and they loved it. So next year they get in touch and say, 125th anniversary, we want to make a film. Do you want to do it? So we said, yeah, okay. It was completely unpaid, but we said, yeah, we'll do it. And then we... Why doesn't that surprise me? Yeah, yeah. But we thought, you know, we're not getting paid for this, but we're going to do it, obviously, as a labour of love. And I thought, what what would be a great thing to do is let's make a bunch of short films on various different subjects, but let's do it like they do those Talking Heads documentaries on the telly, which were very popular at the time. So let's do loads of interviews. And then we'll, 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 punk, we'll put all the different bits of interviews in all the different short films. So we'll do a film on Bill Nicholson. We'll do a film on John White. We'll do a film on, you know, uh, the great cup finals. And we'll do a history film, et cetera, et cetera. We'll do a f- film on the history of the shirt, et cetera. And we'll, do, we'll interview all of our heroes and we'll put all the interviews throughout all the different films. So... It, that's what made it obviously for us really worthwhile so even though we weren't getting paid we were getting a chance to interview all our heroes so we split the interviews simon and i although some of them we did together so we, we got to basically in one go meet incredible people and the two interviews that stuck out most of my mind one was i went to to interview Ginola in the south of france which is a whole that was a whole uh episode in itself because his agent was so ferocious and kept making unbelievable demands for money and, and wanted first class flights to get that's why somewhere. he's ne- that's why he's never appeared on the spurs show i think it's probably the same uh, right nation. yeah she wasn't having it. but eventually the club because it was way outside our budget but the club stumped up a bit more money and sent me out there with a small crew and i interviewed him on a bay in Saint Tropez. it was like it's one of those moments where you think is this really happening and then we had lunch al fresco in this uh, in Saint Tropez. me Ginola, my little crew his agent and a couple of other people sitting around eating incredible seafood looking across the bay but that was incredible but even topping that so, so, so we go from sun-drenched bay in Saint-Tropez to a small semi-detached house in Enfield because I've got to interview Dave Mackay. And Dave Mackay says, I'm coming to London, staying with my mate in Enfield. You can interview me at his house. And even though Ginola and all the other incredible people we interviewed there were all in their own way, magical and charismatic, and they all had incredible stories, there was something about Mackay. I think Mackay was almost like a celestial being. He had this presence and quality to him, which was like no one else literally I've ever met. And I never saw Mackay play. So it's not like I was infatuated with him as a footballer. Obviously, I knew the legend and I knew how important a figure he was. But he had this incredible aura about him. And I sat and spoke to him. He had this twinkle in his eye, this great, very calm Scottish drawl. And he was incredibly articulate. And he talked to me about, you know, his ferocious competitiveness for which he was obviously famed about how he would even in a fiver side in the gym he had to win and he would do anything to win at all costs he told me about the famous Billy Bremner incident how Billy Bremner had walked round him to kick the leg that he'd recently broken 
deliberately to try and, you know, Billy Bremner is Scotland teammate. And he told me incredibly moving ter- in incredibly moving terms about his friend, John White and the death of John White and all that. And we used his quotes amongst many others for a little film we made about John White. And this is before I'd met Rob White, mm. who I met subsequently through you and became a great friend of mine who will come up in this again. So, Dave Mackay, I think as a Tottenham moment, meeting and spending time with Dave Mackay, I had a Scottish um, production uh, producer at the time as well called Lindsay, who was lovely, lovely girl. And he had a right twinkle in his eye for her as well. I was thinking, this man, this is just one of the greatest. I felt like I was in the presence of greatness with Dave Mackay. And sadly, shortly after that, he he was struck down with uh, Alzheimer's. Of course, he then later um, died as a result of that. So I felt incredibly fortunate to meet him while he was still very much, um, had, had, you know, very much the real Dave Mackay. And he was, I'll never forget. I mean, I spent maybe an hour, an hour and a half with him and I'll never forget it. Great man. What's the, what I love about your, your eighth memory is, again, it's, it's another 10 years on. And probably, I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong, you've, because of your association with the club and creatively in doing stuff, you get the call to help out with the the organisation and the the vision for what will go, which, which on many many people's list and rightly so, the White Hart Lane finale, which again all Spurs fans know was the culmination of an extraordinary unbeaten season at White Hart Lane, and there wasn't many of those since we've been going to see them. So let's remind ourselves of the goals. And then, uh, again, it's been on the show many times. I am delighted to then mention Paul Coit's moving words at the end. Let's listen to that and then get your, your, um, your kind of background to how all this kicked off. Ericsson with the corner, taking short. Davis picks the delivery. It's a decent ball as well. Ericsson drifted in all the way through. Spurs have doubled their lead. The hurricane peels away. Celebrating another goal. The free kick came in. Kane got the touch. He lost his man. Stuck out that foot. The Gea had no chance. And Spurs are heading for a second place finish in the Premier League. As we say goodbye to our home for the past 118 years, let's celebrate the role that it's played in our lives. Generations that have watched games together in these stands, passing the love of this great club to sons and to daughters. The sights we've seen and the experiences we'll never forget. Finally, it's now time to say farewell to White Hart Lane, the world-famous home of the Spurs. So there we go. So let, let remind people of known. I'm, I'm sure you might mention it very briefly on the Spurs show, because I know you're one of these people that doesn't like to blow your own trumpet wrongly, but you you kind of, uh, you know, you, you sort of, well, you don't blow your own trumpet, but 
here's a chance to sort of tell people how this came about, how difficult it was, how you felt by doing it. I think because I'd done that charity film with Simon and then we'd done the 125 films as well, I knew them. And I'd stayed in touch with one guy in particular up there uh, called Fran Jones, who's a brilliant bloke who, who looks after all their corporate relationships up there. And he's a really impressive uh, guy who works at Tottenham. And, and so I'd, I'd always kept in touch with them. And um, so I got a phone call out, completely mm. out of the blue in 2016 from Emma Taylor, who is the marketing uh, executive up there and she phoned and said look we're doing we've got to do something for the finale we've been talking about we're having meetings we, we can't really quite pin down what it is we need to do would you be interested in maybe helping us we've got a guy on board called Andrew Zweck now Andrew Zweck Zwecky, I know Andrew Zweck I work with him I knew ago. you'd know him I knew yeah. you'd know him when I, my you... first job after college is working at Harvey Goldsmith Entertainment right. and, of course, and Andrew Zwecky Zweck worked, worked, well. worked for Harvey Goldsmith yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. so Andrew Zweck in the music business is a legend so he does all the staging for people like Roger Waters and the Rolling Stones and everything he travels the world with them and he's trusted by them he's an Australian guy but ever since he came over to England in the early 70s I think it was he's been a massive Tottenham fan so they I don't know how he they got in touch with him but he is a, a he was for me you know Coity is the hero of the finale Zweck is the un Zwecky is the unsung hero of the finale he didn't get any credit not really even within the club but he he did all of the logistics because it all comes to him second nature because he's done all these massive massive shows for decades all over the world with the most demand with clients even more demanding and unreasonable than Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> I mean <laughs> Roger Waters I mean bloody hell. so he was brilliant. He so she said, "All right, I'm going to get Andrew Zweck to call, call you because he's in charge of all, the whole show, and uh, and then see what you think." So Zweck got in touch, and we just got on really, really well. And he and I was telling him what I thought about it and what. I, and at the end of our phone call, he just said, "Mate, I think you've got to do this show. I just think I just can't think of anyone else who should do it. This is crazy." So I went in and had a meeting with him, and then I did a big sort of presentation, a PowerPoint presentation, presented it first to. Uh, Donna Marie Cullen and uh, others and then you know people like Simon Felstein and and then they all bought into it and then they said can you present it to the board so then I presented it to the board and then we were off and running and then we so we did it so we had how much lead time what when was this about three months okay about three months that's quite tight then it was tight and it wasn't helped by there was all sorts of you know it was a bit chaotic and it was a bit crazy and the politics up there at Tottenham can be unpredictable uh so it was not it wasn't it was a diff it was a bloody hard job i mean i've made really big and difficult commercials different types of commercials all over the world and other films and things and i've had difficult clients this was a tough job really tough in fact rob white I, 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 he helped me throughout it and uh, we often joke i think it's in um, i think julie welch put it in the joke sometimes i was close to thinking of fuck this I've, I've had enough of this or or i can't take him and he'd always say that come on Think about yeah. it. This is a great thing. To, I remember bumping into Pete Hayne once, him saying, I've heard of it. Because it was all secret. I didn't want anyone yeah. to know about it. Rob right. knew because he was my really good mate and we lived in the same street. But I didn't want anyone else to know because I thought the last thing I want is people coming up saying, you know what you want to do is... Mm. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, Pete Hayne found out through the trust. He said, I, a little bird tells me you're doing the... Uh, you're the creative director of the, of the ceremony. And I said, yeah, it's a, it's a nightmare. It's, it's, <laughs> doing, it's doing my head in. And he said... 
Yeah, but what an honour. He couldn't mm. believe I'd said something negative. He thought I was going to say, oh, it's amazing. And I thought, oh, yeah, he's good. He's reminded me that actually this is a great honour. I just need to get on with this. Anyway, loads of stories I could tell you about. But to cut a long story short, on the day before beforehand, the one thing we kept saying to each other, all of us, me and Coity and Emma Taylor and all the people involved were, um, we'll be all right as long as A, there's not a pitch invasion <laughs> and B, it doesn't rain. <laughs> Of course, it's the biggest pitch invasion YR Lane's seen since the 84 UEFA Cup final. And it pisses, uh, not just rain. I mean, there's a biblical, uh, there's biblical rain. But as it turns out, both things contributed to it because the pitch invasion, as, as I, mean, I heard Paul Coit's... Um, oh, you heard him so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. was brilliant. And as he rightly said, of course, when you think about it, of course there's a pitch invasion. I mean, <laughs> exactly. what are you going to do? It's the last time you're ever going to be at YR Lane. And the pitch invasion was a joyous thing. There was nothing yeah. sinister about it. And luckily for us, we had Paul Coit to put yeah. an end to it. Yes. And then yeah. once everyone was back in the stands, everyone was impeccable. Let the show begin. The film came up. Of course, I'd, I'd managed to get Kenneth Branagh to... So how does it... So the, 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 yes, t- t- more detail, please. More detail. Kenneth Branagh. Sir Ken. Yeah, so... They, why, why did you think of him... And, no, and, I, and how did you get him? Well, to be fair, they'd already thought of him because everyone right. he, he was a well-known Tottenham fan and it was a brilliant idea to get him involved because the whole thing about it, from a corporate point of view, that I thought, and I knew they'd be thinking the same at Tottenham, is this has got to be several levels above what Arsenal and West Ham did. If you look, I looked at the Arsenal and West Ham departure ceremonies and they were really a bit naff and a bit not, you know, not very impressive. And I thought, we've got to, ha- we've got to be much smarter much more market, classier, exactly. So they'd already approached Kenneth Branagh and he was the perfect man for that. It's like when you make an ad, who best represents what we want our brand to be? And he was perfect. A knight of the realm, a Shakespearean actor, one of the greats of his generation, perfect. So they'd approached him and asked him if he'd be the MC, (laughs) which he said, I'm terribly sorry, it's not really my thing. Can you imagine him on the pitch? But he said, Get off the pitch, please get off, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. He said, but I don't mind doing a voiceover. So they said, look, Kenneth Banners agreed to do a voiceover. But what I I thought was, if I can get him in the film, because I knew I wanted to make a big film to do the history. If I can get him in it, that would elevate the whole thing. Because then we get the presence of Kenneth Branagh. We get him, you know. And I asked him, and he was off finishing off Murder on the Orient Express. So I had to wait for weeks before a response. And it was all basically, if he said no, it would have been really tricky because I don't know who would have got. Because I'd scripted the film for him. Wow. I've, I've written a film for him, the idea of him being in this uh, little viewing, you know, cinema, watching this footage and responding to it and narrating it. History footage of, of White Hart Lane. Anyway, he said yes, cut a long story short. We filmed him. He was brilliant. He was incredible. I remember him saying to me when I first arrived, he said, I've only got one thing to say to you. He was in, he was in makeup. You always go and see the star, obviously, for you. He said, if you want me to do anything, any direction you want to give me, just give it to me and I will respond. Because he, he could tell that he didn't know me, but he could tell I was probably, in all he knew was maybe, a, he, he thought I might be overawed. So he's yeah. very reassuring, which was great. So anyway, he did it. It was brilliant. The film was great, as it turned out, because of him. And then it was all fine. You know, so the, 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 the ceremony went on from there and the, and the choir, I wanted a choir. Mm. Uh, beautiful, beautiful they, choir. They'd had the, that West did me, that finished co- me off. That finished yeah. me off. 
I wanted a gospel choir. It seemed right. It seemed yeah. perfect. And they were brilliant. Mm. They were the, the best gospel choir in London. You know, they were superb. I wanted, uh, they wanted a military band because of the connections with the military. So we ended up putting together our own military band because the actual military band pulled out at the last minute. But I had Did an they? ace up my sleeve, wow. which is a musical director called Steve Sidwell, who I'd worked with before on commercials. And we'd also got him to do the 125 films. And he's one of those geniuses. Uh, you probably know some yourself. Those people who've been to the Guildhall for music and all that. There are in music, in the music business, there are certain geniuses who have a sort of preternatural ability with music. They can make anything work. So I'm freaking out, thinking, oh Christ, we've lost the band, or oh Christ, we've lost the choir. I'm saying, shit, Steve, we lost the band. He said, What is it again? The brass band? He said, Don't worry, I'll put that together. And he just just calls up a load of mates, and there's an instant brass band that works, you know. And I say, Oh, Steve, they've changed their mind. They don't want this piece of music. They want that piece of music. How will we ever make that work with the choirs? And then he, I'd be with him, and he just gets some music paper out and just write down a load of notes to say, There, we'll do that. Or I went with him to the recording because you have to record stuff that augments the actual sound on the day. That's what happens yeah. with all these shows. Mm. And you could just see him. He's just there. Uh, he's got one hand, he's eating Chinese takeaway. And the other hand, he's at literally writing music as they go and says, try this. And he's got a load of session music. He's a total genius, you know. So he was a real, real trump card. Zwecky was a trump card. Coity was, those are the three heroes of the, of the thing. And, um, uh, and, you know, as we all know, I didn't, I actually, I watched the game from my own seat for the last time with my great friend, Kevin Thomas, who I've been sitting with at 30, for 30 years or while alone. So I had to, I wanted to watch it with him, even though I'd had mm. access all areas past while alone. Wow. Imagine that after all that time on the very last day of while alone, I could walk anywhere at wow. any time. <laughs> but I went there and sat, watched it with Kevin. No, two minutes before the final whistle, I got up, ran out the ground, ran around to the TV gallery van where I mm-hmm. sat with the, TV team, including the TV director and Emma Taylor, the marketing woman, and the, and we all watched it through all this bank of monitors. So Emma, the first first of all, the first thing we're watching is the pitch invasion. We're just looking at each other, thinking, "What the fuck is you know? What the fuck are we going?" And it was do? live on TV. It was Sky live, live and they were, Sky. they were showing the ceremony afterwards. It wasn't we'd like end of game goodbye. Sky. Yeah, yeah, we'd had a massive meeting with Sky in the boardroom. Where I had to present the whole thing to them, and they'd said, "Yeah, we'll take this." globally we're going to put it out the live all over the world so that's wow. why they sent wow. a tv director that's why i went i said to the tv director you call it i'll i'll just stand behind you so he called it on the day from there and we this pitch invasion that we're watching it on these monitors thinking we didn't even have any words what could you say there's nothing you could do but coity sorted that brilliant then the rain came but fortunately we'd had this idea to get these transparent brilliant. umbrellas that Genius. was fine. It all added to it because, of course, that what that's what begat the rainbow, which everyone mm. remembers at the end of it. And but I still didn't know if it had been a success or not because you don't really you're not really thinking about that. You're just every single step of these ways that you choreographed. You're thinking, oh, now this has got to happen. No, it's happened. Now this has got to happen. Oh shit, that's happened. That's good. That's good. We walked out of the van, Emma and I. We walked round the ground into the west stand, you know, through the reception, and that's when we bumped into Fran Jones, who was that guy I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. who's one of the top top guys there. And he came over and he just embraced us both and said, it's an absolute triumph. Everyone loved it. And I just thought, oh, great. And before that point, I didn't, I hadn't even thought whether it had been a success or not. And then we went in and all the players and everyone, we all had a drink in the bar and everyone, uh, there was just a massive buzz. And and then I realized, oh, it's it's a success. And I actually left soon after and just went home and watched telly with my kids and just sort of smiled the whole evening because it was just, you know, a job done. And I thought, Thank God that's over. <laughs> yeah, but I was ever so, I mean, obviously I was ever so pleased. 
it was a great day in the end. Yeah, what a lovely, what a lovely thing to say you've done. And then what I love about again your final, final moment, top ten moment. Bring it forth now. Oh no, sorry, I nearly forgot the ninth moment. Jesus yeah. Christ, yeah. I nearly yeah. forgot the football moment. Apologies, yeah. apologies. The football moment. Uh, Amsterdam again. Uh, we'll ask you where you were when this happened. Batista licked away. Ben Davis with a tackle. Here's Son. Sissoko. Here's Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Mora. Oh, they did it! I cannot believe it! Lucas Mora with the last kick of the game. The Ajax players collapse to the ground. Tottenham Hotspur are heading to the Champions League final with a goal that we just couldn't believe. Jermaine Genus is speechless. Absolutely speechless. And so is everyone inside this stadium. I can't believe it, Flick. Referee's had a look at the watch. Don't know where he's getting the time from. Here's Sissoko. Get in the corner. Down he goes. The full-time whistle! It's glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur! In the most amazing Champions League semi-final that most of us have ever seen. Even Harry's ankle's looking all right all of a sudden. History made in Amsterdam by Mauricio Pochettino and his players. It's the greatest night in Europe for 35 years since the days of Hoddle and Ardiles. And maybe the best of all time. It's what Champions League dreams are made of. It's a night these players and supporters will never forget. Tottenham Hotspur have come to the Netherlands and reached the promised land. So, probably the greatest football moment in our history, if you encapsulate a moment. Where yeah. were you? Well, I wasn't going to choose this because everybody chooses it, but then you yeah, just think you can't fight you it. Can't, you cannot fight it. Can't. And on live goals, all the, you know, probably had, I don't know, eight or 10 Tottenham fans and, and, and almost all of them have chosen it. But the real reason I chose it, again, is it comes back to people and who you're with. So that night, I'm in my own front room and I'm with my dad, who, as we've already, you know, he's always been, he's always been a massive presence and a massive influence on me, like all dads. I mean, I know you and your dad, your, your stories are totally intertwined when it comes to Tottenham. So my dad's there and I'm delighted. That's great. My uncle, Simon, who's probably the other big figure in my Tottenham story is there and the other biggest influence in my life, probably. He's there. So that's brilliant. Rob White is there, who when I moved to North London in 2010, I'd met him a couple of times on the Spurs show and, I, you know, we'd always got on. And then in, in about no 2012, I moved to Cratchit. So I'd done another Spurs show. I'd only just moved there. And he was he'd arrived to do the Spurs show. And I said, oh, uh, you're a cyclist. Do you cycle to yeah. and from work? He said, yeah. He said, I said, where do you live? He said, Crouch End. I said, I've just moved to Crouch End. Yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said, what street? I said, Park Avenue. And he went, what number? I said, 30 something. And he went, oh, I live at 72. And it incredible. turned out we were neighbours. Wow. We were neighbours. And, and wow. it was incredible. So we instantly became, we were already sort of matey from the Spurs show, but we instantly became really, really good mates. We started going to the games together and we were, you know, having dinner and watching games together in each other's houses and everything. So it was great that he was there because I've been going to the games with him for years. He was there with Jerry, who was his old mate, who also came to the games with us. So it's a brilliant little set of all, you know, Tottenham people that we'd all, from my life. And we're watching this game, 2-0 down at half time. It's one of those where you, should we turn it off or? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if this is... 
I just felt like it wasn't over, especially as the way we came out, you know, bringing Lorente on and, and the way we came out, I just felt, you know, we get one, we're in this, got one, got another. And I just, I just, I don't know. And then you that did the second goal was... again. Again, it's not talked about. The feet, the quick feet, yeah. how he's back Amazing. to goal. The quick Amazing. feet, keeping the ball like, like, like a penguin between the feet and then boom, 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 turn. And yeah. just, there's one tiny gap for it yeah. to nestle in the corner of the net and he finds it. Incredible. Brilliant. Incredible. Yeah. He was a man possessed, wasn't he, that night? Yeah. He really yeah. was. I mean, uh, incredible. I mean, but of course, when it goes in, everybody's got their memories of when it goes. Basically, me and and Rob and Jerry and Simon end up in a heap on the floor, <laughs> making noise. My my, we we made the noises. The screaming went on for you know for a good thirty or forty, fifty seconds. And I know that because my <sighs> daughters and my wife were upstairs watching something like Love Island, <laughs> and they started to hear it. And it didn't stop, so they started to record it. They've recorded it. And I remember a few days later, I was talking to Julie Welch about something. And I said, listen to this. This They recorded us, me and Rob White and the others. And she said, it sounds like you're ritually slaughtering animals. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and anyway, my dad, my dad at that point is 79 or something. So I, he hasn't joined in. So I basically just jumped on him anyway. The poor, nearly, I don't know, I could have done, I could have done terrible damage. Then we send it, I've sent it, there's a great picture of me and my dad and Simon that we send out to our entire family on the sofa, you know, just oh. celebrating, punching the air. I mean, endless. It was, yeah, we all know it was just like the most incredible moment. But the best thing for me was being with all of them, uh, you know, when it happened, because mm. the, that was the next best thing to being in Amsterdam, you know. Yeah, that's lovely. What a lovely memory. And your final memory, bringing it right up to date, uh, as we record this in 2021, uh, also with, with Kevin Thomas, you mentioned you've sat with for 30 years, is being part of the latest film, the open letter to the board film that, uh, well, we're going to play it in entirety. And I'm sure many of you out there have probably seen it. Here, Obviously, I can't show you the video. This is the podcast. But here's the audio version of all the various fans who, who met up for this day of filming to... Make their voices heard, I suppose, is the best way of saying it. Let's listen to it now. Dear board, for the sake of this club, please listen. Not to the words of advisors or accountants or other owners, but to the voices without whom there would be no Tottenham Hotspur. Us. 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 The wisest man ever to manage our club once said, Intelligence doesn't make a good footballer. It's the football brain that matters. And we believe it's a football brain that's been missing from the heart of this club for too long. Today is to do. Hangs from every corner of our ground. But for too long you've used those words as little more than decoration. Without seeming to understand their meaning. Or ambition. Instead, you've dared to do things no true fan could ever support. Stratford, the highest ticket prices in Europe. The furlough scheme. The Super League. Crikey. It seems in trying to create your own legacy... You've been prepared to dismiss ours. As well as that of the game we love. Well, not in our name. We stand with every supporter in the country... Who believes enough is enough. We will not be spectators anymore. As Bill Nick said, this is our club. Our one and only club. That's why each and every one of us... The people who have lived and breathed Tottenham Hotspur... Our whole lives who bring this stadium, this team, this club, to life with our voices. Demand a greater say. We demand to be heard. 
not just in the stands, but in the boardroom. By fan representation on the board with genuine power. Not tokenism. By a board that has the courage. The balls. The cojones. Not only to consult us, but to listen to us. We demand a board that is on the same side as us. That seeks glory. On the field before profit off it. A board that will put football back at the heart of every decision it makes. One that wants a future as proud as our past. We are standing up for Spurs. Will you? So tell us about this, how this came about, how important this is to you. Yeah, so the Super League thing happened earlier this year uh, where it emerged that six... English clubs, including Tottenham, were planning to break away with Real Madrid and, and the Italian clubs. We all know the story to set up a Super League where they all play each other and there's no relegation or anything. And it's just, a, a, you know, a, a naked money making exercise where they can sell massive TV rights all over the world and make more money and be guaranteed enhanced income just for those elite clubs. And we and it was sickening. You know, and there was a massive outcry, as we all know, and they all shat themselves. And within t- with 48 hours, they'd all pulled out. But it was, you know, all Tottenham fans, just like all the fans of all the other clubs in England, no different. We were, we were really shaken by it. Not just sickened, but shaken, because you suddenly realise, actually, you know, they technically, they, they could have done that. They own the club. The club is over well over 100 years old, you know. You know, all generations of fans of our families have watched this club. It means so much to us. It's part of our lives, our emotional existence, our, you know, our, our, our weekly routines. And they were able to, and still technically could be able to, just pick it up and take it somewhere else and just say, no, sorry, we're, we're moving this now. The money men, the people with the money. And this was absolutely a terrible shock to everyone. And we felt, uh, you know, I got a phone call from a couple of people who said, look, we, we, we want to make a film. It had the support of the, the supporters' trust. We want to make a film to talk about this. Can you help us? And I and I said, yeah, I'm going to put. I can get some people together. I don't want to make it myself. I'm going to put a team together to do it. So I got in touch with Kevin Thomas straight away, who is my, as I say, sat. We have sat together since 1990. Since I took him to a game in 1992, that we were three 0 up in at time and drew three all. And at the end of the game, he said, "That's it. I'm getting a season ticket." <laughs> It was against Everton at the end of the, I think it was the 91-92 season. Right. It was such an incredible game with a terrible ending from Tottenham's <laughs> point of view. But he said, I said, I'm sold. And we've sat together ever since. And he's a really, really great friend of mine, you know, as you can imagine, having uh, done all that together. We went to the World Cup together in 2002 to Japan. We yeah. went to, you know, Milan and saw Bell's hat-trick together. Mm. But most of all, we've sat together watching Tottenham throughout the fucking 90s, all that suffering. <laughs> Throughout the noughties and in throughout the pot years, which were relative, like amazing, you know, and the, and the red nap years and everything. Anyway, we, we were really, really great mates. And he is also, I think, one of the top commercial directors in the world. And I know he works with, because of that, he works with very, very good writers, advertising writers. So I thought I'll phone Kev to get a writer. So I phoned him and he put me in touch with a writer, Dan, who was Dan Cole, who was a great writer of commercials. He's, he's got a very good reputation, won loads of awards, works for uh, Euros which is a, a top agency and uh, he, or have us as they call them now, I should say. Anyway, he, I got in touch with Dan recommended by Kevin. Dan is a massive Tottenham fan. He said, yeah, I, I definitely want to help. He wrote a script, which was this idea that lots of fans read out this open letter to the board and then we intercut between them. 
I gave this, uh, I gave the script back to various parties, including the supporters trust and said what do you think about it there were a load of us who got together and formed an informal group so there were advertising executives there were people like charlie whelan was involved who's who's like a, you know a renowned spin doctor uh, uh, from politics tom knox was involved who's the former president of the ipa the institute of practices practitioners in advertising is a very very well-known top level advertising guy people like that and we, so I, I gave them, you know, we discussed the script. Everyone loved it. And I thought I need a director. And then Kevin got back to me. I didn't, I thought he'd be too busy or he wouldn't. And he said, listen, I really, really want to do it. I want to do it, which was a real coup because he's like Dan. He's a top, top, top guy. And they were both doing it for nothing. So they put together this shoot. David Lammy said he'd be in it and he did. And he did come along and he was in it. And people like Paula Hewitt were in it. And we, all, we were all in it ourselves. And it was just really, it's very, very simple. It's not like Ben-Hur, that's for sure. But it's just a very, very uh, well put together, well judged because Kevin's a you know, consummate director. Well judged piece of film and it got lots of publicity and uh, lots of people have supported it. And it was, it was a strange thing because it is critical. I mean, that's the point of it. It criticises the board. And of course, I've worked there for the board. I've met Daniel Levy several times and I've worked with all the people that have presented to the board. I made that finale film and made the 125 film, made the foundation film. So in a way, and lots of people said to me, what the hell are you doing? They're they're essentially a client of yours. Why would you do that? But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to do what's right. And I I don't believe they're bad, the board. And I've said that. I think we pretty much said that when, when the film was launched. I don't think they're bad people. I don't think they are. I think for the most part, they are, their intentions are the right intentions. But I think what, interestingly, after the film, Levy put a statement out saying, I think I've been focusing too much on things that are not to do with football. That's basically what the film said because of the stadium. And he did take on all of those things. And, and, he said, and he admitted it. And I think the film was saying that and then he admitted it himself. And so what I felt was, yeah, I think he's he's got distracted. The club got distracted. They made some bad decisions. I hope this film says that, that we don't think they're evil. They've done lots of great things, that's for sure. But we do think it's time to say to them, no, enough. You've got to go back to what we are. We're a football club. That means about, that means having as successful a football team as we can have. And that means remembering above all the most important people in a football club, and that is the fans. So... We did it and we're proud of it. And it was, it, it, I think it had an effect. I genuinely think it had an effect on the board. And I think lots of uh, the fans have been very positive about it. Look, we're going to continue with a, a bit more for our Patreon subscribers. If you want to hear the rest of the conversation, you can go to patreon.com slash Spurs show. But for now, Theo Delaney, thank you so much for your time. Huge pleasure. The Kings of White Hart Lane. Top 10, top This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.